My name is Janice B. Gordon, and this is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 43 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn Sales as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow. In today's episode, my guest talks about the book that she has just launched, The Power of Value Selling, the gold standard to drive revenue to create customers for life. Just out now. So we talked about why now, why this book. And it very much moved from her previous book that was launched in 2006, talking about value selling. And this one looked at really the changing technology and how we communicate the communication to our buyers around value selling. So we talked about in extrinsic and intrinsic um, uh, ways of, of selling and how you convey value. We also talked about how value-based selling drives customer loyalty and retention, and also what's wrong with the sales process. This is my favorite subject, along with customer success and, and how important it is a part of sales. So there's lots in this episode. My next guest is president and CEO of Value Selling Associates. She works for revenue leaders across many industries to help them realize results they never thought possible. She is passionate about guiding revenue organizations through uncertainty and helping them build resilient, engaged teams that drives predictable and sustainable results and creates customers for life. Welcome to Scale Yourselves podcast, Julie Thomas. Thank you, Janice. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, it's fantastic having you here. We said before we started recording that I have been stalking you, trawling you for a number of years. So I'm really honored to finally get you on Scale Yourselves podcast. It's a real honor. I can't wait for this conversation. Oh, thank you. I'm excited too. It's 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 awesome to be with you today. So let's start. Uh, you have been a very, very busy bee with your new book, The Power of Value Selling. Now, value selling has been your world for a long time now, I think 24 years or, or, or so. So tell me why now, why this book? So th the reason why now is 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 pretty interesting. So I first wrote a book on value selling in 2006. And it did very well for us. And in the last probably three to five years, and certainly since the pandemic, when, you know, the world, everything changed, right? Um, everybody has said, well, your old book must be obsolete now because nothing that was true in 2006 is true today. So when are you going to write your new book? So about a year ago, I started on this journey. And the interesting thing is there's quite a bit that's still the same because people are still people and sales is still about communicating. Yeah. And a lot of that hasn't changed. What has changed is everything that surrounds the conversation between you and I, the technology enablement, this, for example, you know, 
in 2006, this would not have happened the way we're having you, you being in one place, myself being in California. So, so the book really gave me an opportunity to highlight and exploit the human behaviors that make meaningful connections and lead to meaningful conversations in this amplified, accelerated technology world. Mm -hmm. I think, so it's interesting that your focus was very much on the kind of value selling, whereas actually now it's on the communication of selling value. Would you say that's that's true? How you communicate that to people and the mechanisms that that's now happening? It's a little bit of both, Janice, but I think you're absolutely right. So what we we profess in value selling is a is a cadence or an approach to how you uncover what somebody values so you can connect to that, connect your product or service to that and ultimately motivate them to change and take action and choose you. Um, So all of that is a communication. It is the context of the communication and the content of the communication that leads to value selling. Because value selling is not pushing your value proposition. It is understanding how to connect that value proposition to what you value so that I can understand how you as an individual, even in a corporate environment, are going to justify and make the decision to buy. And two people can buy the same exact thing for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I've read you know, a lot to, uh, about value selling, and, and I, I think there's two aspects to it, really. There are some people that very much focus on the uh, how you uncover uh, value and uh, are able to quantify value because a lot of that needs to be sold into the company and what is the opportunity loss of not going. So it's often very much financial based in value. And then there's another side to it in terms of what you under the almost intrinsic way of understanding what value means to that individual buyer, um, decision maker. Um, and would you say that there's another aspect to it that I'm not, that, you know, there are very much two camps of, of explaining or understanding or approaches to, to assessing value in sales? Absolutely. And we talk about how value kind of bifurcates. There's two sides of the same coin, and and you described it very well. The first is what we call business value. And that's how someone builds the case to justify the purchase. And if you're working in a business or any entity, because we have clients that sell to governments and state and local and um, healthcare and even not-for-profits, Somebody has to decide, is this financially worth the investment? Mm -hmm. If I have a million dollar headache, I'm willing to spend $100,000 on an aspirin. The challenge is most sales reps have no idea how big the headache is. They just know that there's some pain or frustration or that headache exists. So we teach them how to direct the conversation to facilitate 
the prospect identifying that business value and how they're going to build the case to justify the purchase. So that's certainly one piece of it. The other piece, though, is what we call personal value. And at the end of the day, people are still people. And how we make decisions in this complicated computer on top of our shoulders has not changed. We still are hardwired to not make decisions that are not in our personal best interest. So the sales rep that can understand, hey, what motivates Janice? What's important to her? Is she a pioneer who's trying to be a trailblazer and be the leader of the pack? Or is she more risk averse? And is she worried about failure and and how I adjust my language and connect in the context of what your personal value is, is critical. Because if I make that personal connection, you'll do all the work to build the case to buy it if, it re- if you're really motivated to do it. But all the ROI in the world, if there's no personal value, I, I probably won't get your attention. Mm, that's interesting that's interesting so it's kind of personal value is what leads the 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 business value um we we make decisions uh uh, based on our emotions but we then justify it with logic so that very much fits with with that um um philosophy so back to your, your 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 book the power of value selling and i'll put the links in in the uh show notes I was really interested when I read and it said that it's um, it benefits early career salespeople looking for practical um, sales strategies in this very competitive environment. So why early stage um, early career salespeople? Well, I think early career salespeople have been indoctrinated in product training. If you look at a lot of organizations, they bring people in and they spend all their time teaching about their products. As a matter of fact, in the SaaS world, the goal is to get people to be demo proficient and be able to describe the product and show the product very well. And the focus is so inward, they don't know how to flip that conversation to understand the customer's dynamic, what's important to them, and why their product might be of interest or matter in the first place. So they're so busy telling, they're not really selling. Mm -hmm. And so while it's not only early stage salespeople, those early stage salespeople often get an epiphany when they're introduced to value selling because they realize they can let go of the product and direct the conversation and focus on the customer. As a matter of fact, we teach sales reps, Keep your solution in the pro- in your pocket, visually in your pocket, as long as you can. It's about the prospect. It's about their challenges. It's about their needs. And it's about their paradigm of what they think they need. And the more I know about that, the better I can be at when I do have to present my product in the context of what's important to that prospect. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. So I, I was reading some um, articles on your, your website, and one of them was talking about um, how value-based selling drives customer loyalty and retention. And scale your sales framework, my framework, is very much focused on 
the uh, buyer's experience and focused on the organization being very customer centric. So customer loyalty retention are absolutely the core of what we do. And through that, you, you sell. So I was really interested in reading this article. So how is it that value selling boosts customer loyalty and, um, and a retention? So value selling is, when you think of it, is is often used to initiate a relationship. And that's where value selling started. How do I win business and, and secure this new client? But the reality is, in today's world, we're not transactional. We don't just want to win once. We do want customers for life. So what does that mean? We need to keep reselling, even if it's the same product or service over time, whether it's a renewal, whether it's expanding our footprint in our clients. And in that reselling, often the people that made the initial purchase to buy are no longer in the role when it's time to buy again. So it's a continuous process. And one of the techniques or core principles of value selling is use the concept of value realization. So focus on those outcomes, those measurable outcomes that you expect to get in the sales cycle all the way through the life cycle of the, the, the prospect. So you can almost start to see it goes from value selling to value delivering to value selling again through that life cycle of a client and I think a lot of companies underestimated that the customer success managers or the renewal specialists or the customer support people didn't need to have some of the same skill set that sales reps did. But the reality is they do, because again, it's a communication skill set. And if I can focus on you and your needs and adding value to you, I'm going to be more successful at securing that longer term relationship. I think it's really interesting what you're saying, uh, Julie. It's almost uh, like the um, the retention team is part of should be part of the sales team, and that's not always the the the, the case in organisational structures. It's very much seen as you know an aftermath or separate or customer service as opposed to sales service. Um, so what would be one of your ideal structures or have, do you have an example of a company that you've worked with that actually realized this, realized what you're saying and changed the structure in order to make it? And one word that you've not used, uh, you've used in our kind of um, research is in terms of a frictionless world and not having those silos within organizations. So I'd really love to explore that with you. So yes, we have a number of clients that have brought all of these resources together and centered them around the customer. So rather than have the silos, you know, where you have a customer success team and you have a sales team and you have maybe an account management team and then sales engineers, they're bringing them together and they're working cross-functionally. So you still have the different roles on the team, mm -hmm. but they're working together collaboratively to serve the needs of the customer in, in a great way. One of the examples of a, a client that we've recently worked with is a company called LiveRamp, and they sell data analytics and data um, identity uh, to enterprises that are sharing data. So think about 
I have my loyalty program with my grocery store and I have a loyalty program with my gas station. And somehow they have a program where I can cross pollinate those um, those loyalty programs and get benefits on my gas by spending more money on groceries. So they they are the back end data magnet that kind of makes all that work together. Mm-hmm. And they've organized around the customer and they have found a the customer's experience is much better because no one's having to repeat themselves a million times because they're all engaging the customer kind of with the same playbook, talking the same language in handoffs between those teams have become much more frictionless is the word that we're using, but seamless to the prospect. And so the buying experience is much better. It's less painful. Mm-hmm. Years ago, we didn't have the technology, but we can actually do it easier. And uh, I often like you um, out, out speaking uh, in front of the audience that, you know, our sales leaders, CROs and and CEOs, and they're very much stuck with the sales process and which is very internally focused. And even that that's the case today, but yet we now have the technology that's moved on. And this is a great example that you've given. Um, how do you think we're going to move more people to be very much more customer focused? And almost kind of what I talk about is a building back from where the customer is, really understanding your your core group, your key customers, and you know, staying the course with them and building back to make sure there is a seamless, frictionless experience. How do you get organizations to switch that transition from very much internally focused, this is our sales process we're selling, to very much being externally focused and and, uh, focused on the the customer's journey? Well, I think think there's two things. So one of our principles in value selling for customers is people need a reason to change. And I think that's true of our sales organizations today, too, that when things are going well, they're not, they're not even thinking about reinventing themselves. But, you know, 2023 for many of our clients and for the market as a whole has been a tough year. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty in the economy and that has paralyzed a lot of organizations. They're just not moving forward. They've become a lot more risk averse. So I think what sales organizations are starting to do, because now they have a reason to change, they the results aren't what, what they had hoped. And sales leaders are saying, wait a second, maybe we need to rethink this now. What worked in the past might not work in the future. And the problem with many sales forces or sales processes, excuse me, is that they're so rigid and they're focused on the salesperson. They're not focused on the buyer outcomes. And my experience is that while I would love a sales process to be completely linear, it never works that way. It's kind of like two steps forward, one step back, because something changes. So you 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 advance to, to one stage and then, oh, guess what? Janice moved into a new role or Janice got promoted or or the something happened in the industry that that company 
operates in, or they bought another company and all of a sudden their priorities changed. Things never stay the same over time. And so, yes, the sales process is important, but you also need fluidity, fluidity in your sales methodology and playbook to go forward and backwards and sometimes sideways at the same time to continue to advance and engage that buyer. I think it's what's interesting what you're saying. I speak to amazing guests like yourself and have various aha moments. And one of them um, was a few episodes uh, before when uh, my guest said that deal management is a good 70% of the process today. And actually sales methodology is put less than 30%. You often get in sales teams, um, sales people that have come from different um, avenues and are used to different methodologies, which work for them. And so there'll be a hybrid within most organizations, even if they have a, a sales methodology, there'll be a certain hybrid. People have different preferences. So it can't be that that's winning the deal. And because of exactly what you've said, it's two steps back, one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, because it's so fluid within organizations that you're selling to, that actually your job as a salesperson is managing the deal. So much more of your focus is on that. So would you agree agree with, with this? Because it was certainly an aha for me. I, I do agree with that. And the complexity is, especially if you are selling to enterprises, is that that deal management is no longer with a small group of people or an individual. It is a broad group of people. If you listen to the research from Gartners and Foresters, et cetera, you know, those buying teams can be upward of 12 to 15 people. Gaining access to them, building consensus among them is where the complexity comes. So the beauty of value selling is we're a conversational framework that I can talk to each of those people. Now, the challenge is gaining access to them. The challenge is having some of those one-on-one conversations to build that consensus and then managing what happens in all of the side conversations that we don't know about because it's a spider web of communication Mm -hmm. right now. So I agree with that. I think you know, I don't necessarily think selling is hard right now. I think buying is hard. When you look at 13 people in a company from different business units, potentially different disciplines, it would be hard to get them to agree on what type of pizza to order for lunch, let alone what software platform they should be buying or services. So that's the challenge in building consensus in understanding each individual is going to have to be motivated to say yes. Mm. I was smiling when you said that. I've, I've recently come back from Antigua, a family um, holiday. You know, parts of the family come from America and England. There's, you know, ten up to 10 of us in a, in a villa just deciding on breakfast. You know, having to negotiate that, everyone's got an opinion. So you can imagine within an enterprise organization that the decision makers around the table might be a good 20, but there isn't necessarily a commonality. They're not from one family, they're from all different families. Oh my gosh. So when you kind of use those, that's why I was smiling, use those scenarios. Well, that's why it is, you know, you know I completely agree with you. 
the um the difficulty is in the buying process you know that's the real challenge not not the sales process really so so i i, I love exactly what what you say so what one tried and tested um strategy would you offer listeners to enable them to scale their sales julie I think that the single most important thing that sales reps can do today to sell value and be successful is to stop focusing only on the technical aspects of their products and the technical needs and have a business conversation before they get into the technology conversation. What I mean by that is value, as we said, is either going to be measured as some level of return on investment or what's the cost of inaction. So it's ROI or COI. And both of those metrics are going to be measured in business or financial terms. And the sales rep struggles often because they can't translate that technology. And it's not just technology. We have companies that sell all different types of things, but whatever it is that they're selling to the business impact. And if they start with the business conversation, why are these problems worth solving? How will you measure the outcomes? Why is this important now? And is there anything more important? Then they can create the context and go in and create need for their solution and build collaboratively with the prospect, how you're going to partner together for the customer's success. Mm, love that. Love that. Tell me more about eliminating no decision. What's your perspective here? Well, my perspective here is that sales reps are often chasing their tails on, on unwinnable opportunities that keep them very busy and not, not aren't moving forward. So we work closely with our clients to qualify opportunities and have a rigorous, consistent framework, again, to qualify those opportunities and identify those unwinnable opportunities. Because what I have found is sometimes the opportunity that we lose in December, there were so many clues in March that that was not going to go our way. And we wasted time and resource on that at the expense of going finding a winnable opportunity that could be in our pipeline. So I find sales reps will cling to the garbage trucks and be because they're they're confident, they're busy. It's busy gives people some gratitude or gratification that they're they're making progress, but they're really not. Yeah. And and that's hard for sales reps to to let go of some of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather have a smaller pipeline with highly qualified opportunities than a fat pipeline with unqualified opportunities. Um, And I I tell my clients all the time, shoppers will take up a lot more time than buyers if you let them. Yeah, yeah, love that, love that. So who is your hero or shero, Julie? Well, I've got a number of them, but... um, I will, I will, given how my, my uh, career has unfolded, and I call myself an accidental entrepreneur, because 
I, I kind of accidentally ended up in sales and then accidentally ended up at, at value selling associates, kind of accidentally on purpose, I'll say. But when I was at university, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was like a lot of kids. I had no idea. And my freshman year, my favorite class was economics. Go figure. Most A lot of people don't like economics. That was my favorite class. And my stepfather was a CPA. And his advice to me was, if you love economics, Julie, I think you should transfer to the business school and get a degree in finance and then take as many economics classes as electives as you want, because no matter what you do, understanding finance in the language of business will be important to you. And no truer words have been sent. So I went and I transferred to the business school and I got my degree in finance. I almost had a minor in accounting, but but one of those accounting classes just kicked my butt and I had to drop it. But anyways, in and here I am in a leadership role running a company and I need that financial background. I I don't need to be a financial analyst, but I need to understand how businesses are measured and that has contributed to me being comfortable having conversations about value and return on investment and cost of inaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about the relationship you had with your your stepdad, because you, you can imagine in some relationships, you know, whether it's your, you know, your stepdad or your your, your dad, you're not going to take, you know, as a young person advice. So there must have been something within that relationship that you were able to take that advice at that time. And it's a run true for you going forward in your career. Well, I trusted him and he was uh, he was very good to to me. Uh, we lost him about eight years ago. Um, but, um, and I also have a very good relationship with my father who was a sales guy. So, um, but they had very different influences on me, but my stepfather valued education. He provided for my sister and I to, to get the education and, um, and was a big part of our life. He married my mother when I was in elementary school. So, um, you know, while I had a relationship with my father, he was the man that was in the house every day. Mm. Um, and he was very good to us. So um, he was kind of a character. I think of him often. Uh, we miss him. Um, but, uh, but but I did trust him. And he had good advice. And you know what? He was He was spot on with that advice. I yeah. am so thankful that I ended up getting a business degree. I'm sure my in a, a degree in um, economics would have been as you know served me well as well but a business degree has really served me very well in my life yeah excellent excellent so how can listeners get hold of you julie well i'm not hard to find i'm on linkedin so find me on linkedin or go to valueselling.com and you'll be able to find my my contact information there when you find information about our team would love to hear from your listeners and um but uh, yes, please find me and connect on LinkedIn. And if you're interested, go ahead and buy the book. It's available wherever books are sold at this point. Um, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, wherever you might be looking for a book and uh, pick up the power of value selling. And I'd love your feedback. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast. It's 6 a.m. in the morning, 6.30 now. So I really appreciate you um, coming online at, at, at that time. I, uh, I appreciate you, Julie. Thank you for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast. Thank you, Janice. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.